Welcome to the Interns Hope Church Run the Podcast. I'm Jesse Brumfield. And I'm Isaac Little. We are two Americans living on mission in Wales. And we're uh, both inviting you guys to uh, walk with us as we talk about what it is and what it looks like to be life on mission in another country. Well, good. Well, I guess we could start with uh, good afternoon. Welcome back to, was it the 22nd podcast? If you didn't listen to, or 23rd, sorry, 23rd? Nope, nope episode 25. 25? Yeah. Are you sure? Yep. Well, I guess, yeah. Yes, we're on episode 25. Welcome back. But anyways, we have a special guest here today, as all of our guests are really awesome. Um, we have Owen. Thank you. <laughs> I think. Owen, can you can you spell your name for our friends in America? Because I think their minds will be blown. Yeah. So uh, it's Y W A I N, and it's a Y because in Welsh we pronounce a Y as an uh sound. So and so, the real pronunciation should be like Owen. Yeah, I guess so. It's like an uh. So like. You know, I, I don't know how much like Welsh you guys have picked up, but like a school in Welsh is a skull, but it starts with a Y. Um, a hospital is a spetty, which is a Y, another uh sound. So in Welsh, the Y is an uh, which is weird because most Welsh people get it wrong as well. They don't think with their kind of Welsh phonetics. Okay. So do you and speak the- Welsh? Not very well. My mum speaks fluent Welsh. Mm. Is that from her years of teaching? Did she have to know it or? What for her, she grew up in like a Welsh speaking area. So oh. randomly. And I kind of think maybe God had a bit of like a hand in this. I was born in Liverpool as well. So if you ever heard a Scouse accent, which I'm sure you might have come across, like for them to try and say my name would have been awful. Um so yeah, I, I was born in Liverpool. So I'm actually like half English. And we moved back to Wales then when I was about two. So thankfully which well depending on where you look at it like thankfully we're back in wales but people still wouldn't be able to say my name like i know that people like if a doctor comes out they'll say like janet williams ben smith uh terry pratchett or whatever and then as soon as someone says like the doctor says uh uh i know it's me before they say mr shakespeare so like like i know i know that they never say my name like correctly anyway what part where your where your mother grew up where she grew up or where is she from so she was born in newtown uh which is about two hours away from here in mid wales but she uh tragically her mum died when she was about four so she ended up being put into foster care and moving to um just outside aberystwyth in west wales so they're, they're fairly like like that western northern area like a fairly big, big Welsh-speaking areas. So running into family or just talking about yourself and testimony. So how did you uh, become a Christian? And uh, So as a kid, bit. yeah, as a kid, like my mum would send me to the local church at in our village in Sanathan, which is a really small like area in the Vale. It's right by the coast and it's really rural. There's like, like, farms and everything around it i mean mcdonald's is like for instance is about 40 odd minute drive there's no no kind of like 
um, kind of chain type places at all. So I grew up there and I go to local church, um, a really small congregation, beautiful old church, kind of uh, Church of England, the looking um, Catholic looking church. Um, and um, the congregation was pretty small, as I said. And I was probably one of really like there's probably about four or five of us that would go from from the area uh, as kids to the church. So, yeah, I started off going there with my mum and then she stopped going. But she still kind of pushed me to go. And I'd sit in the congregation um, <laughs> as a really small kid. And then I, I started singing in the choir, um, going to Sunday school and things like that. Um, and then, you know, kind of just through that, really. So would you say it, at that age, like it was a really young age, you became a Christian? Or like, tell us more about uh, maybe the, like what those growing up years were like. For me, it was pretty tough, actually. Like. Uh, mum and my dad's relationship broke down around about just about joining high school and um, I was due actually to go in and go to a Catholic school in uh, secondary school in, in Cardiff and then she left and like no one really knew what was happening like up until a week before high school was meant to start I didn't know where I was going so I ended up going to the local high school instead and I stayed with my mom and my dad um, rather than go with my mum and I guess during those years, I still started going to church and stuff. And, but I was full of kind of like resentment for the breakdown of, of the family setup. So as I got older, trying to fit into society and in a school kind of and things like that, you know, I wasn't necessarily kind of the cool kid or anything like that. So, you know, it made me really mad. And I kind of I wouldn't say I rejected God because I always feel like God was in my heart. But I had really had these issues with Jesus, you know, and, and kind of like, why have you come there? And then why did you come there and why didn't you come now? And, you know, why is, why am I not important or why, why is, is this setup not very important? And then, you know, trying to fit into society, you do, you know, society things, don't you? You, you find alcohol at a silly, silly young age. You know, um, I, I grew up in a very male dominated like life. Um, my dad's business was right next to our house and they'd have all sorts of, kind of new calendars as a, as a mechanic and you know it was very crude the kind of conversations that they would have um especially with me you know so that was almost like peer pressure from 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 your kind of the people who were guiding you to do things as well so yeah so from a very young age I was like just struggling trying to f- trying to figure out what were the best ways through and, and and that kind of even though I had God locked in my heart and I'd scream out like you know, get really angry and upset and ask God why he was doing things to me and uh, what I'd done wrong and all these types of, types of things in, in the like, blind panic of my, my emotion. Um, I wouldn't say, I would say that I would not share that faith at all with people. Um, if people asked me, I'd be like, yeah, I believe in God, but I wouldn't elaborate at all. Yeah. And so, like in the area that you grew up in Wales, how how prevalent was Christianity? It's funny enough, like, I had this conversation with um, John Burton the other day, um, and he basically said something like, well, if you could plant a tra- church, where would you plant it? And I just thought back to then, and I thought, I, I, I plant it in the Vale, because, or, or certainly around Lantwerp Major or St. Athen, because I don't see God there. 
you know it's a really affluent area in in in, in essence you know there's it's quite a rich area it's, they call it little england because it's so flat um and there's a lot of history there like saint david's church is is in atlanta major uh where the patron saint is meant to have kind of been, been like ministering and stuff like that so you know it's a, there's a lot of kind of hist- historical kind of religious stuff there but personally on reflection i wouldn't say that that there's a, a jesus loving heart in the veil um, or certainly that area of the veil at all it sounds like that kind of came into play with your relationship with christianity as you were growing up it became like not a very cool thing to do yeah, yeah for sure for sure i mean like like I, even if I think back now, I can't think of any. There's like one person who went to my school that went to the same church as me, you know, in secondary school, and and I know he wasn't waving a banner for Christ, you know, and, and things like that. So like, yeah, I think it was a shared thing. Like, and we were very close mates as well, actually. But again, we we weren't close because we talked about Jesus or anything like that. We were, but we had that in common that we, I guess secretly knew that we believed in god you know so but yeah it wasn't cool at all i think other things like like i love i used to love rugby and, and music and things like that you know they they kind of got me through my school ages really you know um but yeah it wasn't a cool cool thing to do in, in our in our area at all yeah um this is gonna feel like maybe a bit of a tangent but i would love for you to share story of how you know ben landers okay little ben okay so uh, and i ask because i imagine the fact that your dad was a foster carer had an impact on the way that you grew up yeah and i think to put more context on on my dad in in general see he's not my birth dad he's my stepdad so i i got brought up by my stepdad um and, you know, I often say, like, if I could, like, drain all the blood out of me and put my dad's blood in me just to be that closer to him, I would. I, I do. I love him to pieces. Um, and I guess at that, as a kid, I actually idolized him completely. I guess we blinkers off and as you get older, you understand that, that you know, that there are things that maybe um, he wouldn't do. But but my dad is, you know, he's, he's forever my hero as such as most most people's dads are. So, yeah, so for, for, for the Ben context to that, he um, started to foster with my stepmom. Uh, they didn't have any children together. And I kind of think that they wanted to have, I don't know, something that they could do like to, to plow their energies into as a couple. So they'd been through like a few different kids and, and they were a bit wild and, and wayward. And I was in a certain part of my life where, where I was trying to, to be, I don't know, fitting in with society. I can go back to it, but, but that... And then along comes Ben and this little, honestly, his little small head, massive hair. There was so much hair on top of his head and his ears, like just then all these teeth and everything. So like I can remember him there and I don't know, I think they had a good relationship. I wouldn't really know how much of a relationship they had together, to be honest, because I was a lot, lot older and, and I probably have my own kind of issues with, 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 my dad at that point as well but certainly for me and him we were very close I remember taking him to his first football match as a like as a young kid and and we traveled all the way to London on the train and you know he often 
like we, he supports the same team as I do because of that now and just everything playing rugby and, and being part of the same rugby club together and then him coming to train when I was when I was in my retirement season um, to, with the club that I was in um, so yeah we were really close and he's gone through a lot he would admit I guess that he still made a lot of mistakes during that that, that period he was with my dad and I think it just highlights the kind of the dangers out there as a recovering addict uh, as a, and especially the peer pressure as a kid, you know, and I'd like to think that, that I, I tried to help. Like I wasn't really interested in anyone else that my dad fostered if I was completely honest. I've got a lot of love, love for Ben and I often like say, this is my foster brother and, you know, and I treat him as a brother. I'm actually probably closer to him than my own brother. So like, um, and I guess I can see kind of a little bit of me kind of wanting to fit in, you know, uh, with, with life and, and be yeah. recognizing things. So, yeah. And like, was that just crazy to you when he ended up at Hope? I mean, like, yeah, it had to be wild. So, I mean, we, we spoke a lot, we spoke a bit and, um, I guess him knowing that I was coming to Hope and, and him going through his journey. He reached out and I think I reached out or one of us reached out we just started talking a lot and I know I don't really know what the, the plan was I know so so like one week we were planning on going to the football after COVID and thinking right you know when when we do this if there's games up by you I'll come up and we'll watch a football and so on and then the next week he's like oh I've spoken to Simon <laughs> and I'm gonna do an internship at the church and it was like what <laughs> so it was amazing it's really cool like uh it's really cool to have him actually around here like it's a uh it's nice I, you know and I, I probably need to spend more time with him now as well but yeah it was it was a shock for sure but a good shock yeah he's been such a great addition I think to the staff team and the church family in general he like he's just one of those people that he'll jump in and do anything. He doesn't care. Like he's just there and doing it. And it's so great. He goes and like has a walk at three o'clock in the evening, like in the morning, sorry, just to freshen his head up. And he would go and kick some like rugby balls on the field just for, I don't think he knows how it, what it is to sit still. <laughs> and just no. like, Okay, well, thank you for indulging my my tangent away from your story a bit, but it is still a part of your story. Can you talk a little bit more about, so beyond like growing up years, some of the, the uh, stuff that occurred like in your early adulthood and how that ultimately led you back to Jesus? Yeah, sure. So like... I guess I go back to the whole fitting into society thing. And, and I guess you get to your 17, 16, 17, 18. And as a, as a British male going out and partying and waking up in all sorts of pickles and states, you know, under bridges at other people's houses um, and so on, just really recklessly living. And then um, when I was 18, I was really, really sick. I was really ill. I was working all sorts of hours and I was um, not eating very well and I'd gone to the doctors with my mum and I was just I can't explain I was just really warm and everything just seemed really close and I ran out of the doctor's surgery and I just like threw up masses of blood everywhere 
And then the next day I had to go back to the hospital, uh, the doctors to, for them to do a blood test. And when I got taken into the, um, to get it done, they looked at me and went, no, they, he needs to go to the hospital. So I ended up getting blue lighted from the hospital. It's not there anymore in Caerphilly to the Newport. And I was in there for ages and they diagnosed me with like severe anemia, which was a misdiagnosis that diagnosed, uh, diagnosed ostics or whatever you want to call it, um, uh, completely. And I, um, but it really scared me. It like, it really scared me. It made me think like it made me, I was born with like a, uh, uh, atresia, which is a very rare kind of, uh, where bile leaks uh, from you into onto your liver and so on. So, like, I always knew, you know, I've got a scar as a kid. Uh, I already always knew that that there was something a lot different from other people that other people didn't have. I didn't quite understand like longevity, what what that would look like, and um, so it kind of brought it back to me. And and my mum was always like worrying about my liver and my, the amount of alcohol I was drinking and the reckless life I was leading. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really scared me, like, in general. Um, and I guess that propelled me to, to kind of think, right, I need to do all these things and, like, a bucket list rather than for the right reasons and things. And they ended up getting married really young, meeting a lady that was 12, 13 years older than me. And we were married for about uh, nine years. And um, I guess I was looking for more of a mother figure than anything in reflection of it and just like I said trying to tick off these things that I thought I had to do before I I died because I was just genuinely under the the fixation I was going to die by the time I was 30 years old you know I just thought I'd never I just it was in my head that I was going to die completely and then I got ill again when I was 24 and they said to me that I was had this thing called portal hypertension so basically, it's like um, barrissy veins, like you get on your legs in your esophagus, and they were burst in, and that was really dangerous. The pressure in my stomach and stuff. So um, I had to have, and I've lost count of how many endoscopies I've had. So where they put a camera down your throat and like they band them or they inject them and stuff. So that went on for a while, and obviously that was linked with the pressure in my stomach and my liver and all those sorts of things. My spleen was huge, so my blood, white blood cells were weren't working properly. And then I broke up on my marriage due to infidelity from my side and, and from my exes and um, and just trying to, again, trying to be like living through my 20s as a t- mid-20-year-old without God and uh, trying to be a married man and all these crazy crazy things happening in my life. And then yeah. that broke down and then, yeah, led me on to, to a sec- another relationship kind of into a, from the fire into a pan. And um, eventually, I got ill where I needed a, a liver transplant, and um, that was in 2017. And that kind of leading up to it changed a lot of my the things I was doing. Obviously, I couldn't play rugby anymore. That was he- that was so hard to just let go of. And yeah, I had the transplant, and then I found out that that actually. I probably should have had a trans. Like I was really lucky actually to get to my thirties without having a transplant, um, because usually people with biliotresia would have that in the in the late childhood, early teens. So yeah, that, I mean that was amazing. Like it's it's easy probably at this point for you 
to just say like, yep, I got ill to the point where I needed a transplant and then I got the transplant. But like mm-hmm. that had to be, what, how were you like mid twenties at this point? Uh, yeah. So I'm mid twenties when I kind of knew that eventually it probably would come across to having a transplant. Can you talk a little bit more about what that was like, what you were feeling? Like, I mean, that is a life altering operation. Yeah. So like, like, to be honest, people that often say like, were you panicking, needing up to it or stressed or whatever? And I can honestly hand on my heart say that I didn't even give it another thought. Like, I remember going to the, to, so you have to kind of be assessed to see if you can go on the list and stuff. And like, I was sitting there and everyone was like 50 years older than me or, or maybe a little less, you know, when everyone was really yellow and their skin was like, like yellow. It, they lo- literally looked like a Simpson. Like, I'm not even kidding you, maybe a shade lighter. Um, and they looked really poorly. Whereas I was really transparent. Like, I was pale. Like, you could see through me almost. And I was a lot younger. Um, so I was, I think I was more focused on just getting it done. You know, I was focused at the time on my daughter and just wanted to be there for her. Um, I wouldn't say I was scared. I would say that the, actually the aftermath of having the transplant was the worst. It was, it was hard. Like it was like an emotional overload almost, you know, you're on a lot of drugs to suppress the rejection of the drug, the, the liver. You actually get time to sit down and think, wow, someone died so that I can have their liver you know and and there's a lot of guilt associated with that and tied in with that so yeah I think that was the most stressful part you know as as trying to get better and not be be ill as well And, and kind of like I'd lived so long with knowing that I was ill like what was I now you know like am I ill am I am I okay now what am I you know so yeah, it was, it was weird. Yeah. I was just going to ask with, uh, just to bring up the mood just a little bit, um, your liver, do you think it, because you're saved, yeah. right? And you're a Christian, do you think your liver will stay behind or was your, or was the other person a Christian too? Will your liver oh, go yeah. with you? Yeah. I think that's it. I've never even thought of that. Um, I don't know is the answer. The only answer is um, from that point of view, I have no idea because I mean, that was another part of my kind of guilt is that I couldn't even say thank you to their family for making that decision to give me a transplant. You know, I couldn't even, cause I don't know them. Like I, I wrote to them. You can write to them anonymously. And mm. I wrote about a year after it, but I didn't get a response. All I knew is that they were 48 and they had uh, DBD death, which is death by brain damage. Yeah, so essentially the body still thinks it's alive, but the brain's completely dead. Whereas if you have a DCD, cardiac death, then, you know, the cells start breaking down a lot quicker. So therefore, the organs aren't great to use. And that's all I knew, you know, that's that's all I knew. And um, I was sat in that room leading up to the operation from like six in the morning. And I didn't go up till eight in the evening. And at any point during that time, you know, that they could have harvested that, that, that organ and said, no, it's not good enough. And I, I would have had to, you know, been, been sat there focusing for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got blue lighted from the hospital in, in, in down by us up to Birmingham at like one o'clock in the morning. Genuinely, I thought I died now. Right. I was, I was laid there and I got this shake on the arm <laughs> and this woman went, Oh 
wine. They found you a liver. And I couldn't tell if I was alive or if I died because there was a ring of nurses just around my bed, like just looking at me. And I thought, these angels, I'm dead. Oh, you know what's happened. So like, <laughs> it was the strangest, like, the strangest experience ever. And like, you're in a blur. And then I got put in the ambulance, blue lighted up to uh, Birmingham. And we broke down on the motorway up there. So they had to change the ambulance. Uh, we had to wait on the side, which was crazy. But what yeah. does blue lighted mean? So, you know, the blue lights of an ambulance, you know, the. Yeah. That you can cut out the kind of noise that I made, if you like. Um, but yeah, we, we say blue lighted. So, mm. you put your blue lights on and they go. Uh, okay. Okay. So, um, all the way up, we broke, we broke down and then I got there. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, so much, to answer your question, yeah, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I hope so. So is there, um, talk about the, the process that you went through of, of healing and then the people that uh, you've spent time with that have suffered the same injuries or ailments or, or, or similar issues that you've met in the hospital that have, you know, suffered from specific diseases or, you know, that they've come to terms with this. This could be tomorrow's not guaranteed. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the perspective of your mind completely changes. Like you're facing your mortality every day, you know, like this is a Band-Aid essentially, you know, it could pop off at any time and I could reject again. And I don't think personally from my circumstance that essentially I would be able to have another transplant just because of how crazy it was, which like it was a, it was a bit bit of a, a mad transplant. Um but yeah, the people I've met are unbelievable. Some of them are so strong. There's a lady called Jane, who's a lot older than me. She's actually the, probably the only liver transplant I actually like know no in Wales. Um, and I'm sure there's loads, but um, and we you know we choke a lot. We started up a, a transplant football charity football team like uh, about a year after I got transplanted. Uh, she's a mad football fan um, or soccer, as you say, over in the states and so yeah she she's amazing she's a, a good inspiration but then you know i get to see a load of kidney transplantees there's loads of kidney transplantees that i i sit with and and i i, I get involved with and and their stories are equally amazing some of them are, are horrific some some have had like three kidney transplants and every time you have a transplant your makeup of your body changes because you actually have to find a transplant so if you're looking for your second transplant, for instance, you have to find one that will suit your blood type, the, the type of, of kind of the kidney you've already had because it changes your, your, your body. So it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And, and if you're looking for your third one, you know, it's even harder. So, you know, some people are really lucky. They have a transplant as a kid and it, and it grafts for forever. They, they seem pretty normal apart from a scar. Um, some people not so lucky. So, yeah, I mean, they're an inspiration. They, they keep playing football. They keep, you know, we, we're, we're really close as a, as a community, especially for the football team. Um, and I've got a good, good group of mates there. And, and I hope that through Jesus, I can share that his love with them as well. I often kind of send some encouragement through to them from, from the word or, you know, we talk about, some of them talk about, about God with me and, and they might not be believers, but I guess they've got that kind of foresight that they want to, you know, they might die sooner than other people expect and they want to know that there's maybe somewhere else that they could go to. 
So, yeah. Do you think that that experience of facing your mortality leads people to face more than like your average person or, or no? I don't know. I like, so trying to find, um, I haven't really found any transplantees that are massively committed to God in the sense that they go to church every time or they try and work, they, they try and serve or those sorts of things. But, um, but I'd say there's a lot more kind of curiosity in it. I think they think about the end game a lot more. Like I think, I think personally, the older you are, the more likely you are to think about life after death and what comes next. Whereas the younger you are, you're kind of protected a little bit from it by your parents of, of death and things like that. Cause you're a kid, you've got no, you know, you're, you've got this childlike innocence. So. Yeah. So how did you actually come to know Jesus? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I came to know Jesus. So I was at rock bottom. I was really bad. So I'd, done my usual thing jumped out of a frying pan into a fire in another relationship and that went horribly wrong when that girl very quickly got pregnant and um i just didn't want that to happen i wasn't enough space to do that my life was literally crumbling everywhere you know i was trying to deal with a breakup my, like seeing my son trying to figure things out for my daughter where we we're going to stay and all these things and it happened and to my shame you know you know, it's not her, you know, she, she didn't put up herself in that position or anything. You know, we both put up herself in that, that position, but she was hurt as well. And um, she ended up having a an abortion, which was weird for me because like, I don't necessarily believe in abortion. But also at that time, I was like, that's the only way I could see out of that situation, you know, that I really didn't want to be in. So to my shame, yeah. I guess I didn't tell her, I didn't ask her to do it, but she did. Um, but that's what my heart was feeling. So like on reflection, you know, I had to repent about that to God. Yeah. And about that. But yeah, so I was broken. I was about to kind of like, I was, I remember standing on a bridge that intersects between Trialo and Tonopendi. And I was just thinking, I'm so worthless. Like there's no point in me. You know, I'm, I, I'm a rubbish dad. I'm a, a you know, I break relationships and so on. And I was just ready to throw myself off over this bridge. And um, this like, like, I don't know, this kind of voice came into me and said, you know, ring, ring this number. So I rang this like Samaritan's number and spoke to a guy on there and he was really calming and, and understanding. And as I was walking, I was on the phone to him, I was walking past the church and he said stop a minute just stop stand stop stand st look look at what you're looking at and he said just just focus on that thing in front of you and he said you, because this is what you need to do you know you're like that person he said that's on the plane trying to fasten everyone else's air mask to their face when you haven't sorted your own one out and i was there just dead stood looking at the church at the time and he's saying this and i'm thinking and all i could think of and i've been past it like walked past it a couple of times and and um I just thought I'm going to go in and I'm just going to, and that literally the Sunday, the Sunday came up and I, I walked down to the church, went in and the sermon was all about kind of building foundations on things that were firm and things. Um, and I just broke down crying. Like I've never felt like the weight of the world was off my shoulders, like completely. It just felt like I was home. 
felt was in the right place and everyone was really kind of welcoming and 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 like you know listened to me and and the follow that the, the weeks kind of rolled by and, and it was a regular thing and and um i started talking more about my faith and loving it more and enjoying it and um understanding that actually being a christian is about community rather than locking them away in your heart and understanding jesus and and just sitting there and on reflection when i felt down and lost like there was a time for instance like i was having a real bad episode with my ex and um you know there was like struggles with my son then and, and potential thing like re- repercussions from that and i was driving to church after i dropped him off and i was in tears like i can remember the rain coming down and it was dark so it must have been winter and i was just in tears absolute tears and i just got there in time and Simon opened the door and said, UK? And I was like, my eyes were red. Um, but during that drive, I was screaming out, like, why is this happening to me? I was going back to that saying, well, what's happened? You know, what, why am I feeling like this? And I just felt this, like, word just say to you, like, if anyone knows how you feel when, you, when they've lost your son or when you can't see your son and you want your son and you, you, you kind of, you know, I, I know what that feels like. I completely know what it feels like. And it kind of, like, mm-hmm. helped me settle and look at things differently mm-hmm. but um yeah and then I guess I made that decision then to to literally give my life to to God and I got um baptized on my birthday on the 8th of December just so mm-hmm. if anyone wants to give me presents you know uh but yeah I got baptized um and I think I had the longest like testimony like they ever had <laughs> I could I could literally see Ben and Simon going uh when is he gonna stop talking but you know, it was off. It was. It's what I wanted to do, and I felt I did. I, you know, people. It's very trivial to say. You know, when people say, "Oh, you know, you feel reborn," but I did. I feel, I feel convicted. I felt it was like almost that handshake you get for a job interview, and you know that it's time to kind of crack on now and do do what you need to do. So, yeah, I just felt like I'd, I'd nailed the job interview part of it, and that now that I had to do the job, so. Um, and that's that's about growing and, and understanding and learning and reflecting God's love in, in what I do. So, you know, everything that I've done is to my shame. Everything that I've done wrong, you know, uh, infidelity, um, you know, saying bad things behind people's back, you know, even my language and things like that have changed. So, um, no, and I'm, I'm blessed that, that I'm able to do that through, through the love of Jesus. Yeah powerful God just put you in the right place talking to the right person at the right time yeah it was yeah. good I think like like on reflection like as I learned more about my my transplant as well I understood that I just I could see God's hand in it so much like being a baby in the 80s with this this condition that was really rare and most kids died from to being in a, a position where like I have one blood uh one vein or blood uh, artery to connect blood to like if we like not that we're going to but if you opened you up and looked at your liver and stuff like there would be six or seven different veins like feeding your your liver blood with me it was just this one and like you see that on, on two sides you think wow god kept me alive this long with this with this one blood vessel you know and in, in an absolute state like that shouldn't happen that should be real that shouldn't you know with this massive spleen but then on the other side, you know, a four hour op that came into nine hours and, and 
you know, by rights, like the doctor should have just opened me up, seen this blood vessel and just gone, oh, there's nothing we can do, but he didn't, you know, and he, he was given that kind of, that skill and that ability, I believe by God to, 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 and he was put there in that position to, to do it. So I actually think that if anything, I've just, I've got to repay that to, to Jesus and God, that faith in me to keep me going. And walk in miracle. I don't know if I'm a miracle, but you know, it just does. It does make you maybe medically alive. You're what you just said. That what's the percentage of your cases living at your age? Oh yeah, I guess so. I've literally read about this recently, and they kind of wobbled me a bit. I've talked about it, but it's something like five out of seven will die in the first year from rejection. Yeah. So like I'm three years in, so and that's just that's standard. That's with loads of multiple vessels and stuff. So yeah, she's got a point. Walking miracle. I'm 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 gonna stand by that statement. I'm gonna stand by it. Thinking of like the the life circumstances of how you've been able to just minister to others um, in your same situation. I was just thinking as well of some of the things you're stepping into. I want to talk about uh, or tell us about some of the things you're doing with the church, like leading worship and where you want to see that go. And like, what are some of your, the ministry ideas of where your heart's at with the church? You know how much I love worship, but for everyone else, I guess. Yeah. Every time I think of worship, I just get this, like, just smile on my face. I love it. I feel like to be able to worship and to minister that in church is this, this great great privilege and and it's really kind of you know unlocking people's hearts to hear that word and getting them prepared to hear the word from from our our great pastors and and just starts to answer the ask the questions you know you know you can sing a you can choose a song that kind of sets a heart up to to a piece where they're ready to ask the questions that that kind of come through that sermon so yeah, I love I love being able to worship. I've, I've got a great tutor at the moment. I've got a couple of great tutors actually. I've got obviously Mr. Isaac Little himself, who's who's great, um, and is a lot of help and and helps me loads. I've got Philip over in the US, who I have some interesting conversations with every uh, every other week, and he's a blessing. He's the the great Mandarin campus Church of Eleven Twenty Two worship leader. Yeah, for sure. He is, he's pretty, uh, he's pre- pretty special. He's a good guy and he's really helpful with things. And uh, yeah, I'm really blessed. I've, I've started um, having guitar lessons with Sophie. And if anyone like Sophie, Sophie would be a good one to go on here, you know. So yeah, so I'm really blessed. I've got loads of encouragement from, from people. Um, I feel privileged in that. And, I, and I've got this heart for really like bringing more worship to the valley so that we can open people's eyes up to the love and grace of jesus because you can sit up on these mountains that we've got and you can overlook some of the towns and the villages that are kind of joined together and you see these old chapels and churches all kind of across across the, the, the town and the landscape and you think at some point like the valley must have been this powerhouse for god you know they must have been sitting there and every sunday trying to cram into these little chapels or big chapels and stuff and like, why can't that happen again? And I think it can. And I think through music, we're able to really speak to people 
when they don't know how to speak themselves. And, and, and in general, you can get a lot of kind of thoughts and, and answers through that music. And there's none better than worship music and ministry music for that. And I think if we could bring this area, something yearly, for instance, like a, a, a worship festival um, to the area, um, there's plenty of land that we could help God regenerate like areas like Traherbert and Chalky through people coming to, to worship God, like, and then, and then hopefully like speaking to the local populace about God through that music and asking those questions, then, then, you know, it's win-win, you know, God's providing support and, and financial support, you know, well, where's, where, where's this influx of, of kind of revenue coming from? Well, people are coming to find God. So I, I must praise God. I've got to praise God. Look at this, you know, look what he's given me. And, and also the kind of like the local people to, to really just understand what God, like what, what people have, uh, are trying to put on for God and, and praise for like show how amazing this guy is. And yeah, but that's, I guess that's where my heart is. Um, it's a long way off. There's a lot of planning to get into it, but yeah, it sits, it sits with me daily. How has serving in the church in general and maybe specifically in worship leading changed your faith or your relationship with God? It's weird in COVID times. Like I've got to confess that when you're just standing there, Isaac will probably say the same. Um, when you're singing and you're or you're playing or whatever, and essentially you've got like 20, 30 sets of eyes just looking at you because of the masks and stuff. And that's really hard, you know, because like for me, being on the other side of that, I get a lot of bounce back from the energy in the room and the, everyone just giving themselves to God, you know, and just letting go of everything that's, 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 that's built them through that week. Um, and at the moment, because we can't have that, that, that music and that song, um, it's hard to, to, to kind of just lay it down to God for yourself. You know, I think it's a very fine line to, of making it a performance and making it a worship to God. And I, I guess, I guess that's where I've changed the most is just trying more to just capture that on the other side of me into to what I'm doing there and just blank out everyone and just have my own worship time in front of people. It's changed the way I listen to music in general. It's changed the way I write music. And there's so many great artists out there that you can kind of take from a worshipful kind of background but then the worship leaders for worship music there's there's great stuff as well and and i really think that that is helping me actually understand or want to search the bible more for the reasons behind some of the lyrics i have another question so what <laughs> has you talked about the people that are mentoring you as far as worship leading i know that you and simon have a really close discipleship relationship what has people investing their time and energy and talent into you meant? Yeah, I mean, I would say that historically, I'm probably a bit of a loner. I don't really like let people get close to me very often much. Almost there's like a mask and like, although I can kind of like be really engaged and, and so on, that actually when you think about it how much of a myself am i letting people get to know 
And I think one of the great things that's happened to me through my faith walk and especially my discipleship is that I'm allow, allowing people to, to kind of look at the, the kind of demons that are in my heart and the, you know, insecurities that I hold and, and just kind of help me easily ease them out and, and give them up. And I'd say that actually for the first time in a long time, that I have some good friends that I could can, can trust and confide in. And I mean, I'm not all, completely there. I'm still struggling with that sometimes, you know, letting go of things, worrying about things and so on. But I know that in general, I've got just some great leaders, you know, uh, and, and great people who, who take the time out of their days and lives just to kind of get to know me and, and to, to kind of encourage me or, or sometimes maybe to, to hear my views on things, which is, is odd, you know, I'm not very, um, biblically in tune, like in terms of, I couldn't pull off scripture at the top of my, my head, but I often think and think and think like about the worldly world against the, like the Bible. So like, maybe they get something from that. Maybe that, that there's a different point of view they get from that. I don't know. I learn a lot from in our advanced theology group, uh, Lori and her sister, Sarah, and they are newer believers, but I learned so much from them because they're coming in with fresh eyes to stories that I've known my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when you get to see someone discover those things or they're thinking in different ways than you would about it, like it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. I think we can all learn from each other. Mm -hmm. So yeah. good. Those are good topics, good <laughs> things to think about and discuss it. Yeah. For us, I always I think I think I'm a new believer. <laughs> like I've got so much to learn. It's just like I don't think that it matters about a, the amount of years that you've been a Christian. Um, but even though we've spent so much time reading it, it's it's alive, and so we're learning stuff every single time. You could if you got everybody into a room and you said we're going to read uh, Romans one. Let's just say it. And then you're going to sum it up into a sentence, what it means. Out of the entire room, you could have easily 50 different answers. Do you, do you always like, like you always in awe some of like the revelation that you find in, in the Bible still? Like, like, yeah. I think Jesse said, when you, like, like, I remember stories from a child, you know, as a child, like Samson, like Jonah, like, you know david and goliath and stuff and then you kind of read them with adult eyes and you see stuff and you're like whoa <laughs> you know like yeah, today, no one explained that to me you yeah, know yeah. like the this yeah all the stories i i find it very 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 intriguing and very interesting um i started what reading numbers yeah, it's it's like there there are a lot of numbers and numbers. Was that was that difficult getting through the first ten chapters? I do, I, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of repetition, isn't it? But at the same time, I think that just shows that every offering is gracious for God. God, there's no like you can't trump what you offer. You know, in, in essence, God loves whatever you can give Him. You know, and and will will. 
And I just think through numbers, like the repetition just shows that is that everyone's trying to give the same thing. No one's better than anyone else, you know, and, and God just, that, that kind of sh- shows me God a lot more, you know, it doesn't matter what you can, what you've got. Yeah. Brave man reading numbers. It's hard. <laughs> One of the worst. Yeah. One of the worst. So I did have another question if you're up for it. Let's do it. Can you talk a little bit more about the process of rooting out some of the stuff that you carry from your past mm-hmm. and doing that with others, with just you and God, kind of what just that's been like? Yeah. So I guess like historically, like I've been a bit of a control freak. I've been really ambitious. I've chased money and kind of power almost in, in some sort. Um, so it's complete overhaul. Like I was setting up call centers and managing them and getting business in and, and so on uh, for, for companies um, on a fairly good wage. Uh, but it wasn't making me happy and you know it wasn't making me who i was i felt really conflicted by everything all the time um so that was one massive change like i've really i've just changed that completely i've gone to like some mediocre admin job which is okay it's not really like amazing but it's what it is and i've gone back to my first love which was barbering so like i think by trusting god through those things just saying god you've got I'm going to cut your hair. Yeah, I'm going to cut your hair. Um, and I'm pointing at you, Isaac, not Jesse. Um, Please but... do. <laughs> I want to see it. So, yeah, so I've gone back to that. And I think I couldn't have done that if I don't trust God. Now, it's a process as well. You know, I know that it's like I can't just throw all the eggs in one basket and just do it. Like, I feel like God's given me this time to, especially the last couple of months, to really reflect on what I want to do and, and how I'm going to use his word to to, to kind of, get more souls to, to him. You know, it's a great opportunity for me to reinvent myself as a barber that doesn't cuss and doesn't um, kind of belittle women or, or kind of objectify them and stuff. It actually gives me an opportunity to be a, a barber that talks about everyday things and puts biblical kind of connotation to that. And, and, and you know, you, you hear a lot as a barber, people out spill, you know, spill a lot to you. So, you know, if, you, if you've got the opportunity to, to hear that and people are sharing that with you, then you should give something of substance to that. So that's, that's my process. So that's been a huge change for me. Um, relationship wise, it's been massive. Like I've never really been on my own, like really, but the last year and a half I've kind of been on my own. Um, and that's a process, like just being at peace with just myself and like understanding who I am and, and understanding what I want in life and how, you know, how best to, 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 to achieve that. I'm actually just not caring. Like, I guess at the start of the year, for instance, I would be more, oh my gosh, you know, uh, how am I, you know, I hate being alone. I need to find someone to, to, to shack up with, if, if you like. And um, actually now we're just not that bothered. You know, if it comes, it comes. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, you know. And I'm lucky I've got my son, I've got my daughter um, that keep me busy when I have them. And life can be lonely, but like it's only physically lonely. It's like I get to, to worship. Like if I'm, if I'm lonely, I just put the, the Alexa on and we listen to, to worship music. And it, it takes me to, to God through that way. And then I think about God and I start reading like a devotion. And, and so, so that's changed me, you know, whereas before I'd be like, 
completely panicking and, and like, what what am I going to do? What, what Look at how rubbish I am. And actually, I think actually, I'm not going to push anything. I'm, I'm good as I am, you know, and, and if God sets me up in the future and he sets me up. But so, so that's been a huge change. Having time with my mum, living with my mum, which has been weird. I haven't lived with her since I was young. Kind of keeping my independence and learning to, to support myself and look after myself, but also live in a happy environment with those that I live with has been, been a big change as well. And again, it's thanks to God, you know, some of the, the sermons that we listen to uh, about COVID and about kind of getting on top of each other and and having kind of volatile conversations and, and, and you know, putting the, the blame on each other for the situation that we're in rather than just giving it to God. You know, they've, they've been massive, massive tools for me. For me to add to my armory for sure. That's good. That's a, that's a lot that God's been doing in you. Uh, yeah, genuinely, I feel like I'm in a, a, a mixing bowl. Like, I feel from where <laughs> I first came in, like, to now, I just, I think, I can't, I can't describe to you how much of a control freak I was. Like, I wanted to control everything I did and everything else you know wouldn't do things like I didn't want to do and all these sorts of things but you know it puts so much stress on your heart right and I just don't care for it anymore I'm just like oh well you know if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't and um, I think there's a lot of trust in God and I'm still working on that you know there are things that you know this you know this the enemy creeps in sometimes and, and makes you you worried and and things but essentially like what have I got to be worried about? You know, I've got, you know, and that, that reflects onto kind of like my mortality is like, it's a win-win situation. Like if I die, you know, morbidly, but if I die, you know, in the kingdom of heaven with, with God and Jesus, I get to w- sit there and worship him. And like, that's pretty cool. But also from my life, that's a blessing in itself, you know, and I get to continue that journey on with him and, and learn more about Jesus and, and, you know, what can you do? Yeah, so it's it's great. Yeah, it's good. It's a good spot to be in. Do you have any questions for us? What has been the most interesting part of coming to Hope Church in general? What what have you? What's been this like? What mean <laughs> mind blowing kind of thing? Maybe. Mine has been coming from a mega church to a small community church and experiencing that sort of family. It has forever changed me. Like, and there's good and there's bad about it. Like you walk in and you can't hide and there's gonna if you're having an off day, there's gonna be people that ask you about it because they're gonna be able to tell. And and the kids. Doing, yeah, doing life with people ain't always easy, no. um, but it's really really good. And I have become more and more convicted over this year that when I return home a small community church is the way to go. Like it just is. Yeah. 
I, I couldn't imagine being in a mega church. I think it would just like almost take away from my what I was doing, like why I was there. I'd be like, whoa, look at all these people, you know, and, and lights and like I might like forget why I was there. What about Isaac? Like what's a like mind-blowing thing that's happened to him during this this time? I feel like I've turned the host now. This is cool. You have. You've turned host. I mean, COVID itself was just mind-blowing. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact of, of circumstance, the, like I thought that I, had came, that, I, that I came to Wales with no expectations, and I was full of them. Like, I ex- there was just a lot that I expected from God specifically, yeah. not, not from other people, but really from God. And, and I didn't stop to ask, I didn't pause to ask God what he thought about, you know, cer- cer- circumstances that were going on. And so there was a lot of personal complaints, you know, <laughs> filed to the Lord. <laughs> it's been really tough for you guys, isn't it really? Like, like you haven't got the opportunity to really like, as much, like you've, you've had it on one sense where you've like blended in and got involved and so on, but like, there's not been very, there's been very like little return for that. Like going to the beaches on the, in the summer, you know, for barbecues or, or maybe, um, I would say the biggest trouble for me, I I think was the worship on like, it's very depressing. And I almost die on the inside every single time that I have to lead in front of a group of people that don't get to sing, Yeah, you know, like that is super heartbreaking and, and so I have to emotionally prepare for it before I even go up. Like these people don't even get to sing. I have one more question actually. Um, so the first one is, I'm going to ask Isaac first because I think it'll be funny. But Isaac, have you ever managed to coax Jessie into singing at church yet? Or have you ever heard her like mm-hmm. sing? No, no, she has no she desire. Do you think you could? Do you think no. Jesse would? Jesse would no. you? Would you ever? No, th- never. No, shit. It would take an act of God, <laughs> like a miracle, to get well, everything. He moves mountains. Never in a million years. Uh, See, <laughs> miracle. It's so and, and then, like, I guess from the flip, then, like, how do you take? How do you see Isaac's children ministry? If he's in, if he's helping with the kids and stuff, you know, what is he good? Is he strong? Does he need to like improve anywhere or? I've never the seen him word. serve with the kids. Whenever he's done okay, it, so it hasn't been with me. And he's not he's not involved in family service in a leading capacity. Like whenever he's been there, it's been to help like with logistics or technology. So I, I haven't seen it. Oh, but I did when we had club, I did see Isaac at club. Yeah. And so that's like eight to how old are eight to 14 year olds? Yeah. And you could tell at first, Isaac was very uncomfortable. I feel like Isaac (laughs) and you, and you admitted this. So I'm not saying anything that Isaac hasn't said himself, but he, you could tell he was a bit uncomfortable. It was out of his comfort zone. And he was kind of like, how do I even relate to these small humans? And then he got like, I feel like you started connecting with some kids and then you got, it's like you're, um, the cool thing about club, and it was for me as well, and anytime I, I work with kids, I feel like 
it, I like allow myself to play and you can, you let go of any of your like, this is how a proper adult behaves and you can just be silly and stupid and goofy and the goofier, the better really. And so I saw Isaac's like more playful side come out, which was really nice. I feel like I do that all the time. Maybe I'd be good at. But could you think you could do like um, life swap, like one, like before you go? Could you like one time, like you leave worship? Why not. And, and Isaac, do the kid? They wouldn't function. There's like a blank expression on Isaac's face then, and a horrified expression on yours, Jesse. You do not uh, want to hear me sing. I assure you, you do I not. Think want everyone to hear can me. sing. Huh? Everyone can sing, surely. Like no. Some people sing. No. Huh. Do you have any embarrassing stories that you want to share about me or Isaac or both? So there was a st- <laughs> so so I spent a bit of time with Isaac, not as much as I'd like to, but a bit of time. And I remember the first time we walked up the mountain behind my house. Um, we walked up there and we're like in trainers, and I think it was probably the first time I had even gone up there. And like Isaac just looks so excited. And like we were looking at all this thing, and it's like a cliff face. Generally, <laughs> it's like, like just like just stone, <laughs> just in front of us. And rather than go around, we've decided to climb up it. Like, and you, like bearing in mind, I have no military experience. Isaac has lots of military experience, and he's like this free hanging Tom Cruise dude, like pulling himself up. And and then we get, and I'm like on reflection, I'm like we could have fallen to our deaths here. We had no equipment, nothing. Like we just climbed up this side and we're looking for the cross. Like, do you remember that, Isaac? Yeah. Like, and, um, and we completely missed the cross, but we climbed up the side of this and we're holding shrubs and stuff like that. And then afterwards I'm like, how are we going to get down? And I was so scared that we were going to have to climb down this, this thing. Cause, cause I'm mountain little, you know, cause I thought he was going to paraglide down it or something, but we didn't, we found like a slow, <laughs> We found the slope down, which was thankful. But yeah, I mean, you, you were like taking photos of everything and little yellow buds on trees. And, and there's a massive wheel. I don't know if you've managed to figure out what, what that wheel on the side of the hill's for. But. A manhole to a, um, it's a, it was a, a manhole to one of the, uh, the tunnels. Okay, cool. So yeah, that was cool. Like Jesse, not really like, Apart from like you leaving like a coffee cup in my car, and I didn't like realize it was there for like four weeks, and like tipping it out was not very nice. Really, my, my apologies. Yeah, but um, <laughs> that's about it, really. That, like, I usually I usually clean up after myself. Yeah, well, not on this time. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, no, you guys are pretty pretty cool. No four faux pas. Or, I don't pick them up anyway. Maybe you did. Well, I think that brings us to a conclusion. Thank you for taking this time out. I know it went a little longer than we probably promised it would, but it's all it's all good good stuff and I'm really grateful to you for sharing your story. No problem. Anytime Thank you so much. No worries, guys. Okay. I'm gonna hit the uh the stop recording. <laughs>